Corinthians 10, 12, excuse me, 1 Corinthians, you know where. <laughs> 1 Kings chapter 12, beginning of verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon. And Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of, our fa- of thy father and his heavy yoke which he put upon us later, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days. Then come again to me, and and the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while yet he yet lived, and said, How ye advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever." But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people, who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us later. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy. But make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than thy father's loins. And now whereas my father did lay you with heavy, a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. May God bless his word. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we are so thrilled to be here today and to worship you. Remind us today, Father, Uh, that you are the audience, and that we are collectively coming to worship you. I pray, Father, you impress that upon our mind, that we are here to bring you glory and honor and to magnify your name, not to to just be entertained or be entertained or have our ears tickled or any of that. Lord, we just want to worship you. We know when that happens, when genuine worship happens, that the church is edified and built up. We pray that would take place today. We also pray, Father, for those that are lost, uh, that have not come to be saved, to be born again, that you'd open their eyes to the glorious light of the gospel, that folks would be saved today. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. What a blessed song. All right, let's open our Bibles uh, today to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're not going to start at 1 Kings 12. I'm going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. I want to address something today that uh, was really never a big issue with me growing up until I became a teenager. And then uh, this term, I think, was coined around the time of my generation uh, because there began to be a great diversity between my generation. In fact, I remember the Who had a song. My generation, I remember that. And it, it, uh, we talked about the generation gap. And that's something that has become magnified. 
as we have made such a big deal about generations. What generation are you from? I don't want to hear that right now. I'll share with you uh, some of that. And then we're going to look in and say, well, what does God say about generations and uh, this whole thing, this generation gap is what we want to talk about. But let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. For th- you're so precious to us. We love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Uh, Lord, we, had, we confess today that we would, would not have a clue of who you are, uh, of how to please you, of what you've done for us, of what you say and the, the advice you give about living our lives. We would not have a clue if you'd not revealed it to us. First through your son, Jesus Christ, and then through the word of God, the written word, the living word, and the written word. And we praise you for that, for those, and for him and for it. Lord, bless us today as we seek to grow in Christ, as we think, seek to think biblically. And we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, according to recent studies, uh, and when I say recent, I'm talking my age group, um, there, we are living currently, there are seven generations living in the United States right now. And uh, just to give you what they have identified, uh, the oldest generation is the great, it's called the greatest generation. Hey, why aren't we the greatest generation? The greatest generation is also called the GI generation or the World War II generation. That's people born from 1901 to 1924. Then there's the silent generation. That's people that were born, and this, these numbers vary a little bit. Generally, about the same time period, we give or take a year. The silent generation are people that were born from 1925 to 1945. Then we have my group, the baby boomers. Born from 1946 to 1964. Sada, you're with me, right? Many of you are. Uh, Then we have the Generation X, or Gen X, 1965 to 1979. Then we have the infamous Millennials. uh, Born about 1980 to 1994. Then we have Gen Z, or Generation Z, Those that are born from 1995 to about 2012. And then the latest generation is called Generation Alpha or the Gen Alpha. People born from 2013 and anyone that's been born now and up till 2025 is going to be part of Gen Alpha. And so they've got all these generations, uh, all these things. And and I'm going to read to you from a source that I came across. Each generation has its own unique set of characteristics and norms. This is interesting, because those of you that know people from different generations, there's some truth to this. For example, the greatest generation, 1901 to 1924, is known for its patriotism, hard work, and loyalty to institutions. Um, The millennials are characterized by their dependence on technology, detachment from traditional institutions, optimism, and open-mindedness. And then this source said, it's no wonder that many people from different generations have a hard time understanding each other. So here's a definition, modern day definition of the generation gap. It refers to differences in actions, beliefs, 
interests and opinions that exist between individuals from different generations. So, uh, and ever since I was in high school and past, they've made a big deal about this. Um, you know, the generation gap. And I experienced that. You probably did as well. But what we want to see today, let me give you the outline and then we'll, we'll pray and we'll jump right into the scriptures. Three things I want to answer, three questions. Number one, how does God define generations? Bible, the Bible uses the term generations 114 times. Only three of those times are in the New Testament. The rest of the time it's all in the Old Testament. By the way, the, the English word generation or generations is, uh, depending on whether you're Old or New Testament, there's two Hebrew words that are translated in the English as generations, and there's one Greek word that's translated, the, one of those three that's translated uh, in, in the New Testament, generations. So how does God define generations since he speaks about it? Number two, why is it unwise to discount previous generations? seems that every generation that comes up, uh, especially when we're younger, we see ourselves as superior to the previous generation. You want me to tell you how old-fashioned my parents were? I mean, you know, and I love my parents, by the way, and this is somewhat foolish jesting here, but I remember when a microwave first came out, they're like, whoa, no way, we're not touching it. And it took them a while to get on board with having a microwave. But before I mock them, uh, my kids could tell you stories of their old man. You know, I mean, it just, it goes around. And by the way, you young people, someday you're going to be the old generation. No, not me. Because you always feel like, I don't know, don't you? You always feel like you're the hip group, you know, and you're always going to be that way. So anyway, how does God define generations? First question. Second, why is it unwise to discount previous generations? We're going to look at an example in Scripture. That was our Scripture reading of a young man that was a king that had a very important decision to make. Uh, in fact, it was at a unique time in Israel's history when they went from being a united monarchy to being a divided kingdom. And this was not what caused the division, but this was symptomatic where we had a young king who sought the counsel of the old guys, but then rejected it and went with the younger. And then thirdly, how has God changed his opinion of this perspective? So what does God say about this generation gap? Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. I pray for your blessing today as we seek your thoughts and your advice and your wisdom. Help me to rightly interpret, rightly divide the scriptures that I would be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And Father, I pray that as we expound the scriptures, uh, that I would not be asegeting or reading into or inserting my opinion uh, into the text, but allowing the scriptures to speak for themselves. So Father, we ask your blessing. Help us to think biblically, because uh, we know that's where wisdom comes. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. So how does God describe generations? I mentioned the word generations, at least in our English Bible, is found 114 times. And the majority of them, 111, is found in the Old Testament. And that's uh, where we see so much. But um, let me give to you again the way the modern interpretation of generations and the generation gap. So I want to use, a, a, again, another secular source. Um, normally the word generation refers to 
all the people living at the same time. Uh, normally a generation is about 30 years. Actually, this is, this is based on what the scriptures say. Because as you know, when I just gave you that outline, it, was, it seemed like it was about 20 years. Each generation that's been labeled, it's about 20 years. And then you move on to the next one. Scripture, however, has, when you look at these 114 words for generations, there's several different understandings. You've got to read the context of it. But normally, a generation, biblically speaking, is about 30 years. Um, but again, sometimes it can refer to a, a, a much longer period. Interesting note. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Henry Morris. He's with the Lord. He's the founder of, I believe it was Institute in Creation Research. Uh, he wrote many books. He's considered the father of the... the um, revival of creation science or uh, intelligent design regarding the origins of mankind. He was a genius. Uh, and him and Dwayne Gish have written many, many books that kind of got this whole thing kicked off. And there is so much material available on scientific creationism. And that is not a misnomer. Creationism uh, understood does not contradict the Bible or science. They are in harmony. And Dr. Morris, and it was either in his Defender Study Bible or in his great work that kind of kicked it all off called the Genesis Flood. He pointed out a very interesting fact about this term generations. When you go through the scriptures... The Bible will say, now these are the generations of, and then it begins a history. Now if you know, who wrote the first five books of the Bible? It was Moses. But Moses wasn't around during the time of the first few chapters of Genesis especially. How did he know? Well, so, and this is what Dr. Morris says, that when you see this word generations, there's two Hebrew words, but when one is used specifically, I believe he says, what, he's, what you're getting is... Um, Records, in other words, tradition was handed down orally, and then Moses compiled it, uh, and when he was writing the record, which would be the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, when you see that phrase, now these are the generations, Moses is relaying the information first that Adam wrote down, then Jacob, not in that order, but all the different fathers before him, that he was collecting this information that because he technically, you know, he wasn't the one that authored. I mean, he he was the author of the first five books, but these accounts that are written in the in the Old Testament, especially in the Book of Genesis, um, are were passed down, and so that term is very significant. That the word generations literally refers to a different age that was recorded by a different person in the Bible and passed down, but. I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 now. Here's what God, as far as the relationship between one generation and the next, God is very clear about it. Uh, if I read my Bible when I was younger, uh, God would be telling me, in fact the Bible does say, uh, it condemns, the way the King James words it is, he that setteth light by his parents. That doesn't mean you're lighting your parents on fire. It means you're taking your parents lightly. And that was strongly condemned in the scriptures. 
And the idea of setteth light means you're, you're, you're discounting them, you're writing them off, that idea. And God said to the early Jews, the Israelites, don't you diss your parents, to use today's terminology. Don't you disrespect your parents. Don't, don't you know, um, cancel them, to use today's terminology. Don't cancel your parents. Because apparently, that's been a trend all along. Now look what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. By the way, this passage, as you know, is a very, very important passage to the Jews. It is one of their key passages that they quote when it comes to a prayers. Beginning in verse 4, Deuteronomy 6 4, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's the Shema Israel. That's what they call the prayer. Verse 5, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. This is basically the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. Love the Lord with all... In fact, Jesus, when he was asked, what are the two great commandments? This is what he quoted. Instead of the wording of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, this is what he quoted as... This is the first and great commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now look at verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now we have seen in the past how... Badly, the Israelites went off track regarding this simple command. They apparently started out doing this. All right, we're going to love the Lord, and we want to impart to our children God's ways. And that's what he's saying. Thou shalt teach them diligently. The words which I'm going to impart to you, teach them to your children. Talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down. And over over the years... The Jews began to lose the heart of that and began to focus on the externals. And that's the danger of any age. To lose sight of the heart. And they began to just, uh, as you know, they have these things, they literally, based on what the following verses of Deuteronomy 6 are, you know, bind the scriptures, put them in front of your eyes on the doorposts. And they began to focus on the literal interpretation of putting scripture that would dangle and on your doorposts, and they lost sight of the heart. But that's God's challenge, is He wants one generation to teach the next generation. And especially to impress upon them the mighty works of God. Now I want you to fast forward to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. And shortly after the Decalogue, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's, the Decal- the, that's the, not the Decalogue, the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then we have Joshua, Judges. So Judges, chapter 2, something happened from that initial exhortation in Deuteronomy 6. And now we see a very sad commentary. A few years after Deuteronomy 6, Years down the road, it says this. Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose 
another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Isn't that sad? Now, apparently they still um, held on to some of the external traditions because it would be long after this. In Jesus' day, when they were still wearing their phylacteries and had their things, and you know, that, that literal, let's focus on the externals. But that here, apparently somewhere along the line, a generation came that did not know the Lord. That's tragic. It really is tragic. The thing that we see in the Scriptures is that you and I lose something when we no longer value, when we cancel or write off the previous generations that went before us. Because of the one thing I despised when I first came in the ministry... When people would say, well, pastor, you're a little too young. You don't have much experience. I've told you before. Oh, that used to get me. How can I have experience if I don't start somewhere? You know? Um, but, but now I see experience, you know, experience has a reason. You know, you learn things from experience. And one of the biggest things we learn, and I think you'll agree, the older you get, the less you realize that you know. Right? Not true. You know, yeah, I remember late teens, early 20s. I had it all. I knew. And, and it wasn't that I saw this. I just, I thought, oh, I've got it together. You know, I've got saved. I know the truth. And then the older I get, I realize, no, you know, you don't know as much as you think you know. Imagine, speaking of age, Imagine if it were possible. I mean, the average age today, what does the scripture say? Um, four score, it's like, what is that, 70? If by strength, 80. And, um, you know, the, the generally people, you know, so once in a while people will live to over 100 years old. I think the oldest one within our lifetime or recently was like 112 or 119. I think there was a lady in Japan that died within the last couple of years that, uh, was the record breaker on that. I have no desire to live to be 119. But, so 119, 119, 120, that's a long time, is it not? That's a lot of life for someone to see. Think those people have learned anything? Oh yeah. They once knew it all too, just like you and I. you know. And now they realize they didn't, but boy, they have learned. Imagine if, you, imagine if people live longer than 100, 110, 120. Imagine if people live longer than that. Wow. What if someone lived like 300 or 400 years? What if somebody lived over 900 years? What if it was normal for people to live into their 800 and 900s? Because contrary to popular belief, there was that time. Now, if you bought into evolution and you bought into uniformitarianism, that the way things are now or the way things have always been, then you're going to laugh at this. You're going to snicker. You're going to look at me and say, oh, that stupid preacher. Oh, he is so naive. But you know what? When people say, wow, you're as old as Methuselah. That's not a fairy tale, folks. 
When people say that, a lot of times they're thinking it's just a story and it represents someone that's really old. There really was a man named Methuselah who died at the age of 969 years old. And by the way, he wasn't the only one. In fact, when Adam died, Adam was 950 years old. What's that? The difference between 969 and 950? 19 years. So, you know, if you say, man, that man is as old as Adam. You know, Adam was just as old, or almost. It's amazing. Noah died when he was 950 years old. And and you may snicker. If you bought into the lie of evolution, and you think that the way things are right now have always been that way, oh, you're going to be surprised. So now, let's take for, assume with me that, that, My premise is correct. That there used to be a time when people would live a lot longer. Assume with me for a minute that there really was a man named Methuselah and Adam and Noah who lived into their 900s. Imagine what you could learn from them. Wow. Hey folks. Hey kids. Pack up. We're going to go visit great, 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 great grandpa Methuselah. Whoa, really? Get your questions ready. Can you imagine that? Here's some interesting facts about Methuselah. He was the eighth generation from Adam. This is in Genesis chapter 5. Assuming this is not a fairy tale, which so many people are just, they're snickering. Maybe online there's people watching me and they're like smirking. This guy really believes that? They'll be the one that'll be surprised. So listen, Methuselah was born when the world was still young, less than 700 years creation. He was born. And by the way, Methuselah was very well acquainted with both Adam and Eve. Methuselah was 243 years old when Adam died. So his grandchildren, Methuselah's grandchildren, were able to hear the story of the creation and the fall of Adam and Eve from them, their own mouths. Can you imagine that? So, that scenario. You got, you've got your dad saying, Hey kids, come on, we're going to pack up. We're going to go see Grandpa Adam. He's going to tell you how it all began. Can you imagine that? Wow. By the way, Methuselah's father was Enoch. And before he was translated, you know the Bible says Enoch never faced death, never saw death. He walked with God and then he was not, the Bible says. Uh, At the time of his father's disappearance, or translation, Methuselah was 300 years old. So that means Enoch was translated just 57 years after Adam died. Now this is mind-boggling and I know there will be many people that can't wrap their minds around it. Because they've bought into the premise that this world is billions and billions and billions of years old. And that nobody has ever lived over 150, 200 years old, certainly. And so they immediately write that off, and they are missing out on so much. Man, what we could learn from Methuselah. Now, if you're a child of God, and and by the way, when we did Jude, uh, in one of the series on Jude, I preached a message about Methuselah's name, and how Enoch... 
named Methuselah, Enoch was his dad, he named Methuselah, and many believe it was a prophecy about the coming judgment of the flood, and, and it's very fascinating. But it's interesting. Now, I want you to now turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. So how does God define generation? Uh, he doesn't use these labels. And by the way, we'll see in a little few minutes, hopefully, that, that uh, this labeling of generations, the baby boomers, the millennials, the Gen Xs and all, that's a relatively new thing uh, from the 20th century, uh, the 1900s. Now, let's look at... Why it is unwise to discount previous generations. This was right interesting at the time of the dividing of the kingdom of Israel to where uh, ten tribes went one way, two tribes went the other. You had the northern and the southern kingdom, Israel versus Judah. 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet... In Egypt heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon. And Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam. So Rehoboam is Solomon's son, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us later, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. By the way, that was the wisest thing he did. You know, um, the Bible says, He that hasteth with his feet sinneth. The Bible says, let, him, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. When you and I, sometimes when we give reactionary answers, instead of being slow to speak and thinking through our answers, uh, we make mistakes. But here he was wise enough to say, let me think about it. Come back. I'll, I'll give you my answer later. And so, um, verse 6. King Rehoboam consulted with the old men. See, there have always been old men here. That stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived, and said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then there will be thy servants forever. Now, by the way, we're going to find out, folks, this was wise counsel. And this would have saved Rehoboam a huge headache if he had only listened. But he was young, rambunctious. Maybe maybe he was on a power trip. He's like, I'm the king. What do you mean serve these people? They serve me. You know, who knows what he was thinking? But, verse 8, he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. And that was the counsel he would take. And it would end up being tragic, the results. Very sad that he did not listen. In fact, it was all ordained of God. God was working all these things out. But in 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 19, we find that it's kind of a breaking point. It says, so Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. That's when we have the northern tribe called Israel. Sometimes in the scriptures, this northern tribe is called Ephraim because of the capital. And then you have the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. Um, So the generations, you know, there's always been this battle of one generation not esteeming the next generation. And and I assume that's going to continue. So keep that in mind as you get older. 
But you know, this, this idea of our, the way we've labeled it now is relatively a new thing. I want to read to you um, an article that was posted in the Reader's Digest. It was actually a reprint from the, uh, an article in the USA Weekend called Closing the Gap by Mary Pfeiffer. Uh, she, she originally pub, pub, wrote this before 1999. It might have been earlier that year, but then the Reader's Digest republished it. And here's what she says. So this was now back in 1999, okay? She says, until late in this century, 20th century, until late in this century, most Americans spent time with people of all generations. Now baby boomers may not have much contact with old people until they're relatively old themselves. She was making a prophecy about me. That's because we group people by age. We put our three-year-olds together in daycare centers, our 13-year-olds in schools and sports activities, and our 80-year-olds in senior citizens' homes. And we don't call it that anymore. There are problems with this age segregation experiment, and it was an experiment. Uh, It used to be the one-room schoolhouse with all the different ages together was just the the norm. She said 10, 14-year-olds grouped together will form a Lord of the Flies culture. Any of you remember that book, The Lord of the Flies? Uh, competitive and mean. I mean, if you, I, I still remember vaguely some of The Lord of the Flies. And those kids just de- degenerated to just be brutal. But 10 people ages 2 to 80 grouped together will fall into a natural age hierarchy that nurtures and teaches them all. And she says, back in 1999, for our own mental and social health, we need to reconnect the age groups. It's true. In other words, we need to stop seeing ourselves as superior and either, and I've learned this too, every generation tends to dismiss not just the, the older generation, but previous generations. Baby boomers, you can learn a lot from Millennials, Gen X. Now we, we, in fact, the Bible challenges, challenges us to do that. Last Sunday, and I will never forget this, last Sunday, little Tamel came up to me. I love this girl. She's seven or eight, brother. Seven or eight years old. Ten. She's ten. We're trying to figure that out. And I, she became my favorite congregant last Sunday. She came up to me and she said, and we were by the water cooler and she says, Pastor, can I tell you something? It was so precious little voice. And she looked at me with such sincerity and she said, and I'm going to be perfectly honest. Oh, can I tell you how many times I have heard that? Pastor, I want to be perfectly honest with you. Oh no. So here I'm bracing myself. Okay. All right. Give it to me, you know. I mean, with that kind of an introduction. And, uh, and God bless her. She said, I want you to know that you don't look a day over 20. <laughs> now, she might have said 29, but I know it was in the 20s. <laughs> and she became my favorite congregant from that point on. And I don't believe, in fact, I told, I, I told Jim Whelan after, because he was right there, and he's like, what'd she say? And I made this statement. So, brother, if your daughter heard me say this, 
I meant this in the positive way. I told Jim Whelan, I said, she just lied to me. <laughs> but I love her. Because, and again, I also know in, in her heart and her mind, she may have genuinely meant that. You know, kids interpret things differently. Uh, in fact, I'm going to look at it that way. And I don't mind that she lied to me because her heart was so precious. Uh, uh, so again, she will always be my favorite congregant. Unless some of you come up to me and give me another compliment today. But, you know, what a blessing. Because we, we usually don't, you know, see the, the, pe- the older people. And I am much older than Tamel. Much older. And for her to just say that with such sincerity and such love just blessed me beyond measure. Turn to Titus chapter 2 as we wrap up with the last point here. Titus chapter 2. So first, how does God define generations? A little differently than we do. Why is it unwise to discount previous generations? Really the same reason it's unwise to discount any generation that's not your generation. Uh, We become like King Rehoboam. Uh, We dismiss counsel that could end up saving our lives or our jobs or whatever, our ministry. Now look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. Has God changed his opinion about this perspective? In other words, what's God's counsel to us today regarding how we view other generations than our own? Titus chapter 2 verse 1. Paul tells in the scriptures, he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. He's giving Titus this advice. Then he says this, That the aged men... Be sober, grave, temperate, sound in the faith, and charity, and patience. So he does distinguish generations. He says, okay, I'm going to give some counsel to the old guys, the aged men. Verse 3, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And then here's where he bridges the gap. Here's where we learn that Every generation has something to learn from other generations. Verse 4, that they, the older women, may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now verse 6, young men likewise. So we've got this thing in the scriptures Where God wants us, especially the older ones with the wisdom, departing things to the younger ones. The young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. And he goes on. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. Peter says, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. I want to share uh, something that's a blessing to me that, um, and I, if you just say, you know, we have two pages on Facebook. Um, for you to know, like the one we're streaming on right now is a public page. It's the one where the, the logo, uh, if you type in Bible Baptist Church of Upper Darby or BBC Upper Darby, it's the one that will pop up and it has the icon of our, uh, our new church logo. In fact, that, of our streaming, it's, I think it's right down here, the logo. And that, that one is our public page. That's where people are watching us right now streaming, if there is anyone watching. Then we have a private group 
that will also pop up. And that is a different logo. That has a logo of this auditorium, kind of like a paranet, par panoramic, thank you, a panoramic view of the, uh, you've got to be patient with this old man, a panoramic view of, this, of the chairs in the, in the congregation. That's a private group that you have, to, you have to ask to be invited. And if you've ever visited our church online, you're welcome to that. Just send me in it. You know, say you want to be a, become a part of it. And if I recognize you at all, uh, you, you're in. But that's the one where I posted a video a couple years ago, within the last couple years, that was a blessing to me. And I want to tell you why it's a blessing. And I hope Josh doesn't mind. Because Josh, it was Josh's like, senior report or something, was it? Remember your speech? Yeah, he just realized what I would be telling. And um, it was a blessing because it was Josh's experience about the men's conference that we were having. And it started with Josh's best friend, my son, Garrett, invited him to the men's conference. And it's just, if you get a chance, you've got to go on and look at that because I just love it. Now, I imagine when, when Josh first sent it to me, he might have been a little concerned about, how's pastor going to respond to this? Because he talks about us guys as being old geezers. And, and I posted it. I want to tell you why I love that video, why I was not upset with it. It's because that reminded me when Josh shares that experience, and it's very funny, but it reminds me of an experience I had as a young Christian. And I was probably about well, a little older than Josh when he did the video, but I remember being invited when I started going to Bible Baptist Church in Westchester, I remember being invited to be a part of the men's prayer group on Sunday morning and also something called pulpit prayer. Now, my perspective, I still remember this. That's why I can relate to Josh's video. I still remember thinking, why would I want to get together with a bunch of old geezers and pray at 6 o'clock? Was it 6 or 7, Jim? 6 or 7 on Sunday morning? It's hard enough just to get up early for church. And then why, when pastor's preaching, would I want to miss the sermon and sit in a downstairs room with a bunch of old geezers and pray? I remember that. I'm like, no, thank you. But I'm so thankful for... See, John Caputo was a couple years older than me. He's the guy that led me to the Lord. And this is this thing with the generation gaps. I've noted, especially me growing up in the you know, age segregation, public school system and, and all that, uh, I remember that when I was a freshman, ninth grade, the guys that are like sophomores, juniors, and seniors are everything. They are the, whoa, I want to be like, man, the seniors. Or anyone that was an upperclassman to us was like a superstar. But as I got older, I realized that when I was a senior, the freshmen's, who has time for a freshman? A bunch of little kids, you know? And we dismiss them. And so that, you know, that was building on my psyche. And, and I remember John Caputo was older than me enough that I respected him, but not too old that he was an old geezer. And he was also a power lifter, which really impressed me. He had trophies on top of his trophies in his room on, on power lifting, you know, all kinds of things. And I remember him challenging me. And also my friend Ray Paget, who was also older than me. Some of you met Ray. He preached here a couple years ago. Or 2021 he preached. Um, these two men were older than me, but not ancient. They weren't old geezers yet. 
And I remember when I was challenged with the idea of joining men's prayer with a bunch of old geezers and pulpit prayer, that my first thought was to dismiss it and only because of them say, no, Steve, these guys, don't look at them that way. These guys, many of them have been saved for decades. You and I can learn something from these men. And, and however he worded it, both of them, mainly John, however they worded it, all of a sudden it illuminated my mind and I began to change my perspective. So I went to men's prayer and I went to pulpit prayer. And I want to tell you, these men who I got to know in those formats made a huge impact on my life. And now, you know, Mr. Kerr was there, but he wasn't an old man then. You know, he was, I mean, he wasn't as young as me, but he was there as well. But I mean, we had guys like Fred um, Lewis and Gart Crumrine. I mean, just precious old men. Bill Alice. But he's not an old, he wasn't an old man that necessarily at that point, was he? In your 40s. Okay, so... To me, that would, in fact, they were in their 40s, and that was the age where I'd be like, okay, old geezer category, you know. And so these men made a huge impact on my life. Huge. That I normally would have just dismissed. So I want to challenge you folks. In fact, I guess that's a good time to plug the men's conference. You know, come to the men's conference this year and learn something from us old geezers. You know, I'm now in that category <laughs> Uh, we'd love to have you come. But the challenge is this. This whole idea of a generation gap, which really was magnified in the late 60s and 70s with my generation uh, to, to exploit and magnify this big chasm between one generation and the next. Uh, folks, we need to do away with that in our minds. We need to realize that you know, I'm, not, I'm neither too old nor too young to learn something from other people, no matter what generation. And so let's get rid of the generation gap. And let's realize that God puts us together in this church because we all have something to learn from one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, pray that you'd help us as... Believers, no matter what generation or what group we are from, to realize that you have put the body of Christ together so that every part fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth teaches us that if we are separated, if we only focus or spend time with our people, our age group, uh, our peers, and we dismiss those that are younger than us or dismiss those that are older than us, we will lose so much. Father, help us. Help us to esteem other better than, than ourselves. And that means older people, younger people. Help us to have a respect that, yes, we are different and there are differences, but that you have put us all together so that we can grow together and help one generation uh, that is stronger than another generation in a different area to learn from one another. And Lord, help us to have that in this church. Help us to have that in our lives. We pray in Jesus' precious name.
Amen.